welcome. Why do we do achievement tests? Do we know or do, or do we not know? Just because it's the thing to do, right? So we have to go through this problematic experience every year, every other year. I think we do know. Let's talk about it a little bit. I'd like to compare it to dairy farming right now for a little. I don't know how many of you are dairy farmers or have much to do with that, but a dairy farmer is looking over his records and milk production seems to be good. It's up a little bit from last year and the cows seem reasonably healthy. A few cows are averaging about 1,500 kilograms milk. On the other end of the spectrum, we have a few that are coming in at 6,000 kilograms, which brings us to a grand average of 4,000 kilograms. What's wrong with the farmer's reasoning? It's a closed circle of data, isn't it? It's closed, completely closed. It's one farm, and in fact, it's his farm. And so it's good, quotes, seems good, but what he doesn't realize is that the national average for Holsteins, that's what he has, is 10,512 kilograms. That changes the picture entirely, doesn't it? When we open that data package, and look at where we should be, then where we are looks different. And so sometimes it's good for us to see beyond what, what I'm doing. We all tend to have that closed loop, those closed loop thoughts about ourselves and what our work. Well, now you might say, but doesn't our curriculum help us know where we are? In other words, if a grade five student is doing grade five math and he's getting passing grades, then we must be on track. And, and there's a certain amount of truth in that. But there are still cracks in the system if that is all we look at. The circle of data is still somewhat closed. We could be teaching six plus two equals eight in grade four. What I'm saying is that if that's the way our curriculum would be, we, we would just do that, I guess, would we? We'd just wait till grade four to teach what six plus two is. Now, I hope you don't misunderstand me. I, I do trust Rod and staff a lot further than that, that, that. Their perception of where we should be is better than that. But I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that unless we open ourselves to a bigger picture, we can be kind of blinded, kind of narrow-sighted. That's where the achievement tests really come in. So we might ask this question, what do achievement tests really tell us? They tell us four things, possibly more, but I'm gonna cover four things here now that achievement tests grade or tell us. Number one, achievement tests tell us if a, I'm sorry, achievement tests grade school performance, the performance of a particular school as it relates to the bigger picture, because again, we're looking at data beyond my school, our school. 
How does our school relate to other schools? So if a particular school consistently grades low on the achievement tests, then we start asking questions. What is the reason? Maybe half of Canada's dyslexics landed there, but I doubt it. Or maybe there is too much teacher turnover. That never happens, does it? Or maybe it doesn't make any difference. Or maybe the board is taking a siesta. Maybe they're just not aware. They're like the farmer. 6,000 isn't bad on the top end. 4,000 average, that's probably okay. But sometimes we need a, a wake up. Where are we in relation to others? What's happening? All right, number two. Achievement tests grade teacher performance. I generally teach grades six through eight or thereabout. So if on the achievement tests, this group of students has performed well in grades four and five, but then those same tests show that there is a decline in grades six through eight, then the teacher has to wake up, right? I suppose the board too, but what's this teacher doing? It's time to sharpen the pencil. Number three, achievement tests, grade curriculum performance. Is the curriculum we are using covering everything that it should be? Now with the achievement tests that we have been using in the past, it is very easy for us to know where our curriculum is weak. You'd have to be blind to miss it. It's just there. We are weak on reference material, and we are weak on maps and diagrams. Our school is at least, I, I, I say we, but our school is at least. That's good for me to know that. It helps, it helps to affect my perspective in teaching. Well, you say that's Rod and Staff's job. They should get their act together and make better texts. Yes, and they're working out every day. Trust them, they are. But it also affects how I teach. If, if I understand where we're weak, I can fill in some cracks in the curriculum. Now that's also why it's the best if the curriculum producer is not the producer of the achievement test. However, having said that, or I should say it creates a conflict of interest. But having said that, I did not say that it can't work. Because I think it can. If we're spiritual-minded people and are awake and alert, we, we probably can help each other navigate that road. All right, we'll, we'll come back to that point later. Number four, achievement tests establish year-to-year -year performance. Now, it is important where a student is in his education relative to his age. We, we understand that. If he's in grade six, he should know a certain amount of data. should be a part of him. That's important. But it's also important that he is gaining a year's worth of knowledge in a year. 
That is important. In fact, with achievement tests that I have used, I looked a lot harder at that than at the last number. I suppose because I was grading myself, maybe, but even beyond that, I wanted to make sure that this student, if he was at 6.4 last year, he better be at 7.4 this year. Or else I didn't do my job right. So the achievement test helps to see if that is happening. So even if a student is grading high or low, we still need to ask ourselves that question, has he gained a year? That's important. You can't really adjust him. We would if we could. So if he's at 4 or 6 when he should be at 5 8, he's at 4 or 6. That's the way it is. But can we take him to 5 6 in a year? Those are questions that are worth answering. And those are things we could do something about. Next main point is the question, how does an achievement test work? Now, I think you're familiar enough. I don't have to spend a lot of time here. An achievement test covers all the basic subjects individually. It takes one at a time, tests on this particular subject. The achievement test takes the student from the very simple to the very complex in relation to his grade level. So just for a purpose of illustration, if he's in grade six, the achievement test may start him down as low as possibly three, grade three level, and it will work him up toward grade nine. And you'll see that in your students' faces sometimes as they head into this achievement test. It's so simple, and they just knock them off. And then at the end, they are kind of sweating a little bit and, and feeling kind of embarrassed that they don't know these answers. Well, not shocking at all, because they don't need to know those answers. They're far beyond them. The point at which that student begins to lose his traction, that's where he is. So it's a very simple method, really, of finding out his position. That illustrates, proves his maximum ability. That's what we want to know. What does he know? The third main point is which achievement test shall we do? And that's Brother Lauren's topic, part of this topic here. And and I'll let him cover that. We're together on that. I'm going to talk a little bit about Nelson Canada's tests, the basic, te the um, Canadian tests of basic skills, because that's what I have been familiar with. And just to help everybody here understand a little bit, he's more familiar with Rod and staff, and he will present that, and then present somewhat of a conclusive um, bring together, pull it together. The Canadian tests of basic skills, I'll look at a few negatives and a few positives, and then look at scoring. A few negatives, one is it presents some unwholesome content, such as evolution, entertainment places, etc. We could mention more things. We just heard an excellent presentation on psychology, humanism, um, it's there in those tests. They'd hate to talk too much about religion because they discriminate and so on. We understand that. And it's also challenging to order. I grow a few more gray hairs whenever we have to place an order. It's not a familiar system to me and, and um, it can be done. But it's, 
I don't really enjoy it. So we buy lots of things at once, so we're good for a lot of years and keep going. A third negative is that it compares our schools to Canadian public schools and therefore, well, I shouldn't say therefore, it can make our schools look just pretty good. And so we can develop somewhat of a false sense of accomplishment because after all, my grade six students are probably grading at eight six, nine six, ten six, eleven six, wherever. So we're fine. Ah, <sighs> made it. Board's happy, teachers are happy. Is that a closed circle of data? Partly. It's closed to the extent that I'm not really comparing my school, I shouldn't say mine, it's not mine, um, our school to your school. I wouldn't feel quite so good if I look at, see, or yours or anybody else's here. Kind of bring us down to the same level, wouldn't it? So that, that's a negative. We, we, can f we can have this false sense of accomplishment. Like I said, I often looked more at how much we gained than at actual position. But all right, a few positives of those tests. One is that it has an extremely wide database. So as far as comparing against other students, it's broad and wide. It is unbiased to our curriculum publishers. We had talked about that briefly. And the third point, it helps us to know where we fit in the broader public system, which could help us to understand whether we are equaling or exceeding. Now, I don't remember the days of our Christian school movement. My hair is the wrong color. But from what I understand, what I have heard is that, that the agreement or the, the feeling was that we will equal or exceed what they are doing. And so these tests help us to understand whether that's happening. And it might have value should government ask for proof of performance. All right. I want to talk a little bit about scoring now from these tests. And some of you possibly use them and understand this well. We have the raw score. The raw score simply means how many did a student get right. And that means almost nothing by itself. Then we have the percent correct, which is just like we would grade an ordinary math lesson. And by itself, it gives us little more than that ordinary perspective. He got this percent on this test. We did not where we want to go with an achievement test. The next one is the grade equivalent. Now, I've been talking about this as though you understand, and you probably do. 6-3 means the third month of the sixth year. That's where he is. I mean, that's where his, the achievement test places him. If he's at, in grade seven, then he's behind. If he's in grade four, he's ahead. Okay? So eight, ten simply means that he's... Does it go that high? No, I can't remember. I think I put that second number too high. I don't have a good erasing system here. Let's say it says eight, seven. Seventh month of the eighth year. All right, that's what grade equivalent is. The next one is what they call the developmental standard score. And that's not of great importance to us. It simply has to do with the concept that the amount gained from one year to the next 
is slightly less in the upper grades as compared to the lower grades, which is logical. Don't you wish you could learn like a first grader? The next one, that is the percentile rank. And this is fascinating, the percentile rank. If we say that a student is at the 33rd percentile, that means if this is a Canadian achievement test, we're comparing him across Canada, that means he's equal to 33%. Thank you. 33 out of 100 Canadians, he's that high on the, on the scale, we would say. But he's lower than the other 67%. If we have an 88th percentile, then only 12% of Canadians would excel him in his understanding. So it's very different from a percent, and we have to understand that so that we don't start to equate them. Percentiles and percents are not the same. However, there's yet another feature of this that's important for us to understand, and that's what we call the bell curve. That's a crude illustration. But what we're trying to say by the bell curve is that most of the students find themselves in the middle. I'm going to do an illustration here. I'm going to get all you men this part of here. You right here. You, from the first two rows, I want you to come over here. And I want you to stand up, line up here in order of size. Tallest over here, down to the shortest over here. I don't know your names, but you're supposed to have your name tags on. So. Let's have the gosho over here probably. Start with him once. And then, all right, start lining up there, I guess, and we'll have to see how you look. Who's next? Oh, we got this. You, you two switch places. But then you're going to have to come down here a little bit. You, you two come down here now, and you two move in. Move that way. Oh. You're getting taller. Well, you two should switch places yet, I think. Now, it's these men in the middle that are hard to get sorted out. There's one here. It's not too hard to figure out where he should be down there at the end. And, and you're not much shorter there. But where are most of these men? Well, in the middle. In fact, you could put a yardstick, a, a piece of lumber across their heads and it would almost be the same, wouldn't it? Very much. Then it goes up a little bit at that end and then it does fall a little bit at that end. Not very much. All right, Jimmy, go back to your chairs again. Thank you. In order to understand percentiles, we have to understand that concept, that most are in the middle. Most are average. I thought of that when Brother Melvin was having his topic about the norms or the average. I saw a book one time, on, the title of the book was, Help! I'm Normal. <laughs> Psychology doesn't want to say that, but anyhow, that's, but that's where we are. Most of us are normal. That's the way it should be. We expect that. And so most 
of our students will find themselves right in this normal bracket. Now what does that mean? That means that a change from a 45th percentile to a 55th percentile is insignificant compared to a change from the 85th to the 95th. Are you following that? It's, it's mathematical. Well, that helps us to understand percentiles and what they mean to us when we look at them. Now, one more thing. Well, let's move on. The last thing we can receive score we can get from these tests is a stainine. It's called. And that comes from two words. Standard nine. Take that, put it back here, and you have stainine. And that's what it is. We, we divide this thing into nine equal sections. I'm not going to try to draw this perfectly here. We have one in the middle, that's number five. We have four on each side. And so on. And so we would call them four, three, two, one, six, seven, eight, and nine. Well, again, you can guess what's going to happen here. In number five, we have 20% of the data. In number one, we have 4%. And in number nine, we have 4%. I, won't, I don't have all those percents with me. I could have. But, but the fact is that in the middle three, if we grab these three right here, we're going to have a total of 54%. So the stain-iron grade shows us the same thing, basically as what the percentile did. The fact is that 54% of our students fall into that middle category. The middle three, we would say. Which achievement tests shall we use? That's Brother Lauren's job. As you can see, Robert is a teacher, and I am not. So what I have to say, I have to see how it applies to your school. I will give a handout. I would say if you had Robert Heatwell teaching in your school, it probably wouldn't matter too much which achievement test you did. First paper is the one I have where it says these students were all Lakeview School, the one with the numbers and the data on. That's the one that I think was what Robert was talking about, the one they used. But our school was only recording two of the numbers recording the percentile rating and the grade equivalent. That's what uh, I guess the teachers were doing, or that's the numbers they could relate to. I admit this is a bit of a, a rarer set of numbers drawn out of our school. This was the one that made me wonder, why are we doing these achievement tests? It made me come to the point, if you go to the total battery in the last column down through there, the 
they only have the percentile and the grade equivalent. The lowest percentile is an 84, and the rest are all over 95. To me, this was saying the test does not apply to our school. It is like asking them in grade six, what is eight plus two? But I said these were all students. There was, in grade six, there was pretty fierce competition to see who can get the best grade. And it was only one of the three that was not topping out the charts on all the subjects. No, not quite. The second one has weakened math. But I had to wonder, what is a test like this worth? Now, if you can crunch all the numbers, like Robert can, then uh, you can get some benefit out of it. But we felt there should be a better way. And it was two years later we started doing the Rod and Staff achievement tests. If you turn your page to the colored one, These lines were a lot more erratic in the first year. This is a combination of five years of data, and it is simply a line for the whole grade. So that gives you a bit of a concept of the school. It shows there's some areas that are weak. Though it is interesting, if you look at the math, reading problems about in the middle, they tend to get run extra low in the middle grades, but seem to come back up in the upper grades. Now the dotted line is supposed to, that's the target area. And I find it amazing that grade eight actually ran above average for five years in most subjects, but not quite. But you see, the margin over the line is just mostly just a small amount. Rod and staff does not put a wide margins in of one student only knowing half as much as the next. It's more uniform. So these students that in grade six were averaging 12.9, they came out exactly on the line when we did this test. But now we've had more other students mixed in. There's more variety. But to me, it felt this was a test. Rod and staff is geared toward their curriculum, which Robert would say that could potentially be a weakness. But we also know that the men at Rod and staff are serving the same God we are. They have the same burden for the, the Christian day school. And they did see a need there and tried to develop something to fill that need. And they did do significant testing to try and decide where these dotted lines should be. It is very similar to what Robert had on the first page I talked about in, in uh, different columns. There's a bit different wording in it, but it's very close to see. So there's an American test. Is that a problem? How many of you had ever been approached by a Ministry of Education to ask, how are your students doing? How do they learn? Have you ever been required to show anything for your school? What did you mean?
Okay, so he was wanting to see them, but it was in Manitoba. When we were at CASBE, they said in the certain, there in, in the US, that education is run by the state, which we're under the province here too. And there the one state had given them the, that was their rule. They had to exceed the state normal or they wouldn't be able to operate. So that, well, if you have something like that, then you have a precise handle. Which test do they want you to do? What are you trying to go? But I felt that we've been running for 45 years and no one ever asked questions. Why are we doing this test year after year just in case someone comes to ask? Are we not better off doing a test which meets our need, which matches what we're trying to do? And so that's where, uh, where I come out at. So with these, yeah, the teachers can easily administrate them and uh, they do the grading. You just simply send how many questions they got right in each section, send it down there and Rod and staff sends back a colored copy of the, like the whole school for that year and one with the combined history and also individual student ones, which is the third page, I think. It's just a single dotted line. These, I don't know how you do in your school. We sent them home with the report cards. It's simply a dotted line and a line graph. It shows where you're a little higher and a little lower. If you're a real numbers person like Robert, then you say, well, that doesn't show me quite what I was looking for, maybe. But for a lot of people, I think it is good enough. You can see where your strengths and weaknesses are, and it's not that the children are gonna say, I, I got this number and they got that number. So last year we did not get them sent home with a report card, but that was one you can. Parents wonder what why are you achievement tests for. They could send that one home and they would have something they could see too. Then the fourth paper shows a student's from year to year. And Robert would like one year's growth in there between every one. From my experience, that's very rare to have a uniform space between the lines. The children simply do not grow up on a steady inclined plane. There's this student seemed to do, learn very little in grade four. It just isn't there, and yet it is a, a good student. So there are variations out there. Often there is surprises. The good students, you know they will grade out well. The teacher knows that, there's no concern. He knows which ones are gonna be the ones pushing 12.9. But it's often the more mediocre student that surprises you in a number grade and comes in very low on the, when you're crunching all the data, all the different numbers. Why is that? Maybe there's not enough incentive to, to try an achievement test. It's not the report card, we're just doing this. I think that's been affected some boys already. But uh, if we do something regularly, track it, do it as it is important, it gives us a guide to go by. We're also supposed to leave this open for uh, questions or discussions. I guess I'm not sure how much time we have. Somehow figured out 
It's their average in the data pool. I talked to John Martin at Rotten Staff, and he said they did quite a bit of research and try to get that dotted line right, and he doesn't think it'll move much. But I would say the dotted line was straighter across the page the first year than it is now. So they do a, a fresh average every year for the bigger, or, or I understand you wrong. I think they would use all historical data as well, not just the current year. The current year would have too much tens. So they'd keep chugging this in every yeah. year into the big. Big data pool, yeah. It'll change more slowly. They're doing it that way. As the years go by, it'll change less and less yeah. because the pool just gets bigger. So I think Rod and staff, I think they came out in 2010, maybe? with these tests, so there was a little, people weren't too sure they want to go with them. From my talking around, I think they're, they are catching on more and more, and more, I think so, and it's growing fast. And, uh, whether a school have been in for, there's a lot of schools just starting, so there'll be, a, in another five years, it'll be a, a lot more solid yet. Another thing I noticed is interesting was back to this math reading problems column, how it was lower in the mid grades and then seemed to come back up above the line for the upper grades except for 10th grade. The reason our 10th grade is low is we do not teach a 10th grade math. They do rod and staff record keeping, which is set at a grade 8 level, but doesn't really push math. So if you have a that grade of students, it was in grade six at 12.9. When they went through grade 10, they could hold their math above the dotted line. But most students, if you're not teaching math in grade 10, they tend to fade off a bit. And the one year they actually graded lower than the grade nine students. But that was because of who was in the grade, I think, rather than the curriculum issue. So if it's a 12.9, you take that with a spoonful of salt. Yeah. It does, give you, it does give you an idea. I was looking back through 20 years of history this week, and uh, it seemed that the, the grade equivalent percentile on Robert's test seemed to be not too far out for grades 1 to 3. Grade 1 is a little bit low. Grade 2, grade, by grade 3, it's about running about where it should. I figured that was because the public school run a junior kindergarten, a kindergarten, that their grade one students have enough data in when they're starting grade one that they're definitely well ahead. By the time you get to end of grade three, that's been closed in considerable. And by a grade four student, that's a scholar, he's usually got a fair margin already over his four grade equivalent. But they're all just just numbers and what we do with them, but. As far as the um, Rodden staff test, do they give you a range of when you can do them in time? Like as far as whether you go in from January to March, or are they graded different based on when you do them? Oh, it, it says that. I think you're supposed to do them about six weeks before school is over. So yeah, the grade is about done. So you're, they're expected to be. Well, their dotted lines are varied more now, but they used to be almost at the next grade. A grade four should be grading almost five because that's where they're going to start. Yeah. May. No. 
How many of you read the article in the School Builder that came on achievement tests? We just got it this week. Maybe uh, Pennsylvania had it two weeks ago already. So maybe depending where you are on the mailing list, maybe it's still common. But when it is, it's got about four or five excellent articles in it. And the one is on achievement tests. Robert covers some of that, but the one was, we do not want everyone to get a near-perfect score because that does not give a good gauge of a student's ability. Yeah, it was basically between this one Robert's doing and the, and the crowd and staff. Some do the CAT tests, California Achievement Tests. They have a Canadian version too, but it's based on 1970. So we're going to come out with a recommendation for a starting the schools to do something that's already 45 years old. It just didn't quite seem the right place to start. And they also had copyright issues. They weren't always able to get stuff. They said, if you want to do it, you may, but uh, the grade one and two was consumables and was only going to be until that printing was used up, then they might be out again. And so we felt that it was probably not the one to recommend people to go toward. Though if you are using it, it has a lot of a lot of data too and the results almost more than what Robert's test or that test did. Frank? This uh, rod and staff? No, they wouldn't, but there is no real government test now that we could find. This Nelson is Canada, they're also a publishing company. They're doing third party validation, but which test what should you be doing? Our research showed that the Catholic schools were doing the California achievement tests, which why would you do an American test in a Canadian country? And so my feeling is that if, the, if they want to come test your schools, they're going to come and say, get your students to write this test and see where you are. And we'll have to do that whenever that time comes. But if you spend 100% of your time drilling the basics, the basics should be well covered. We're not going into arts. We're not doing sports and all the extracurricular activities. We're focusing on making the students work on the basics, and they should get ahead if they stick to that. Well, we were down to two minutes a bit ago. I think we better close. But you can uh, send more questions on the subject if you have, and we will try and answer the best we can.